When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On July 16, 1988, Frank Goodish entered Bayamone Stadium in Puerto Rico. He was to wrestle a match that night against a man named Dan Spivey. But while he was in the locker room, another wrestler approached him, Jose Gonzalez, and asked Goodish to meet him in the shower stall. They had some business to work out. By the early morning of the 17th, Goodish, better known as Bruiser Brody, was dead. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Championship Sports. By now, all of you have heard about the tragic and untimely death of Bruiser Brody. Very disappointing to all of us. He was a longtime friend. Uh, tonight's show, which you're going to see in its entirety from the Sportatorium, makes reference to Bruiser on a big card coming up Friday. Obviously, Bruiser will not be with us, but stay with us. Later on, we're going to update what will happen Friday and disregard the references to Bruiser as we pick up this tape from the Sportatorium in its entirety. I'm Matt. Welcome to OK Talk. going to use this moment to come clean and tell you that I've been a fan of professional wrestling for a long time since I was a kid. Now, most people, most fans, I guess, have had a roller coaster ride with their appreciation of professional wrestling. I, I'm no different. Uh, I loved it when I was a kid, fell off a little bit in high school. When I got to college, I met a number of like-minded individuals who had loved it when they were young and we all decided to start watching again and I guess I've been a fan ever since professional wrestling to me is analogous to comic books the best instances of professional wrestling can take you beyond what you're seeing in the ring and tell a story stories that have been told for thousands of years throughout the history of mankind good versus evil small versus big 
young versus old. A man versus a monster, or the natural versus the unnatural. You can see all of these stories played out in a wrestling ring. And when it's great, it's one of the best things ever. A well-told wrestling match can say so much without a single word. And for that reason, I love it. It's fake. I know it's fake. Well, it's scripted. I guess they they would rather you say. It's predetermined. Um, But, you know, what happens in the ring is not necessarily always fake. And what happens outside of the ring is certainly not fake. And that's part of the reason why I'm so fascinated by this sport, this piece of entertainment, this crazy career. We look back at the carnivals of the 20s and and think how in the world could something like that exist yet it exists right under our eyes today professional wrestling maintains this strange carny attitude that has never quite died they've never quite shaken off those roots and i'm utterly fascinated by it and i'm fascinated by the people that get involved in this business Now, in 88, in Puerto Rico, wrestling was it. It was wrestling and baseball, pretty much, as far as your outlet for sports entertainment. One promotion, the World Wrestling Council, run by Carlos Colon, uh, stood above the rest. And that is where Bruiser Brody and many American wrestlers came to face off against... Puerto Rican wrestlers. The common matchup then was the native Puerto Ricans versus the foreigners who were always the heels, the bad guys. They would come in and have a match. And from a number of people who have talked about wrestling in Puerto Rico, they say it was probably one of the dangerous places you could go. Not necessarily from the other wrestlers, but from the fans. You could easily be attacked walking to and from the ring or to and from the stadium. You had to be on guard at all times. And unfortunately, you had to be on guard in the locker room. Now, Frank Goodish, before he became Bruiser Brody, was already a pretty standout athlete. I mean, this guy did it all. He lettered in basketball and football at Warren High in Detroit. He graduated standing six foot six tall and over 250 pounds and went and played football at West Texas A&M, which was West Texas State at the time. And after that, he went on to a a little career in the NFL, playing for the Redskins. Once his football career dried up, he decided to get into professional wrestling and was trained by the legendary, at least from these parts, the legendary Fritz Von Erich. Now, the Von Erichs in Dallas were about as close as you could come to royalty. And Fritz Von Erich was the main man. He was the patriarch. So Goodish learned to wrestle from Fritz von Erich and went on to wrestle some of the biggest names of all time. Bruno Sammartino, Kamala, the Ugandan giant, legendary Japanese wrestler Antonio Inoki, and my personal favorite, the nature boy, Ric Flair. 
but he also had a reputation, Brody did, of changing the finishes when they didn't suit him. And he was so big and strong that if anyone tried to carry out the planned finish of the match, he would shoot on them, which is wrestler talk for actually wrestling, and force them to actually play the match out the way he wanted to. But at the end of the day, he was great in the ring and traveled around the world wrestling. And so he ended up in Puerto Rico as part of a tag team with Stan Hansen, a man that he had tagged with in Japan. And they came in playing the foreigner gimmick. Now the stories vary on what exactly happened that night, July 16th, but the general agreed upon set of events is Gonzalez wrestling as Invader asked Brody into the showers to have a chat. It's said that Invader had a towel wrapped around his arm, which was only found out later to be concealing a knife. Some say he didn't necessarily go into the showers with the intention of killing Brody, but maybe just scaring him or sending a message. But at the end of the day, Brody was stabbed and left for dead on the shower floor. It seemed there was a disagreement between Gonzalez and Brody over some work that did or did not get done when wrestling for the WWWF, which was the precursor to the WWF, or today's WWE. And Gonzalez may have held some ill will towards him because of that. A Brody lie on the shower floor bleeding out for nearly an hour. An ambulance was called early on, but word didn't get through until one of the other wrestlers called up a local radio station and told them to broadcast that an ambulance was needed at the stadium. Only then did a paramedic crew arrive and Brody was lifted onto a stretcher and taken to the hospital where he would undergo two surgeries and eventually die early that next morning. But what may be the most telling of all is the trial that ensued afterwards. Gonzalez was charged with first-degree murder. There is no doubt that he was the one who stabbed Brody. He claimed self-defense and did so into his trial. The only witnesses called to the stand were those who would speak in favor of Gonzalez. Others who would have perhaps told a different story were either not subpoenaed or subpoenaed late enough to where the trial would already have been over by the time they arrived. And by a majority vote from the jury, unanimous was not required in Puerto Rico, Gonzalez was acquitted of the murder. Again, welcome to OK Talk. I'm Matt. Clint will be along shortly, as well as a special guest on this special wrestling edition of OK Talk. As I said, I'm a big wrestling fan. WrestleMania 32 is in Dallas, so it's on my mind, I guess you could say. 
Of course, you can find us on Facebook at OK Talk Show. Just search OK Talk Show or go to facebook.com slash OK Talk Show. Give us a like, share our posts, like our posts. All of that stuff matters big time when it comes to allowing other people to find what we do. And if you like us and you think other people might like us, just share it with your friends, uh, share it with whoever. And uh, we really appreciate that. Twitter, we are also OK Talk Show at Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash OK Talk Show. Again, retweet, like uh, like our tweets, talk to us. We are very communicative on both Twitter and Facebook. So if you send us a message, we will get back to you. If you leave a comment, we will get back to you as, on that as well. And you can email us, OKTalkPodcast at gmail.com. If you have something a little bit more substantial to say that can't fit into a tweet or a Facebook message, you can send us an email uh, the old-fashioned way, at least at this point. So yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of professional wrestling here coming up. I've been, as I said, a, uh, a lifelong fan of sorts, as well as our guest, which is Griffin Marshall, who, as you know, Clint and I got together via radio. We worked together, and Griffin also worked with us at the same radio station, and he and I found that uh, we are both wrestling fans, and so it's sort of like two members of a lost tribe finding each other in, in the wilderness somewhere, and suddenly you're best friends. And so I roped him in to this conversation to talk a little bit about his thoughts on wrestling and his history with it and just some interesting stories. And we hope that through this conversation, you will gain if not a new appreciation for it, at least understanding of why we like what we like and why we have this strange fascination for the sport, the entertainment, the art form of professional wrestling. So we reached Griffin via the magic of telephonic communication late one night. Hang on a bit. I I just want to let this jam play out. We'll get to the interview in a second. Griffin, welcome to OK Talk. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm excited. It's WrestleMania week. And uh, I don't know if you're excited for Clint. Clint, probably not so much. (laughs) Hey, man, I I have a history with wrestling. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I can remember playing with, do you remember the old wrestling toys that were the big rubber ones? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The big rubber ones? (laughs) The big rubber ones? Aren't they all? And, you know, that didn't move or whatever, but you could kind of like fashion them into you know into positions or poses like at least like you could put somebody up on somebody's shoulder yeah and i had this buddy he had a a lake house at like uh lake tyler lake palestine one and it had a third floor that was kind of like an open loft or whatever and i I remember us taking uh the junkyard dog and hogan (laughs) and putting them in a pose and dropping them from the top of the third floor and, and it ripped the junkyard dog's arms off and we were just like oh and then i had a really good friend that you know in college we were into it you know i yeah. mean we would 
get on the phone and watch Raw like with the phone on speaker. I mean, that was that would have been what like the late 90s, so that's like yeah, like 98, 99. Yeah, so that was the time yeah. to be watching. Yeah, heyday, heyday stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely sure. into it then. No, you, you go in those phases, for sure, where you kind of watch and then take a break and, and come back into it. Hey, who are those guys? This is my first memory that I can remember. So I, I, I was born in California. I uh, lived there to about seven. So when I was like four or five years old, <clears throat> Stoker, help me out and, rem- and remember the guys here. They were a tag team. They kind of wore like camo, the bald guys with like lazy eyes, and they would swing their arms back and forth. Oh, you mean the Bushwhackers? Yes, the Bushwhackers. Yes, sir. My first memory of wrestling is like like Saturday morning, like having wrestling on on the TV and like my sister and I like walking around the carpet, like walking around like the Bushwhackers and like loading up, uh, you know, trying to get our feet going so we could shock one another. So it was like, you know, really like a twofold game. Right. Walking, impersonating the Bushwhackers and then also trying to shock one another. I'll I'll ask you Griffin because this is a story, this is a question that I get asked what are, what are you a uh, relatively well educated adult male with a family mm-hmm. what are you doing still into wrestling Yeah it's uh and it, it's for whatever reason I always do not have an easy time answering it and that just doesn't make me look any better right um it's Man, I want to say it was junior year of college. It was just a Monday night, and I was kind of flipping through, and I stumbled upon Monday Night Raw, and I was like, "Oh my God, I haven't watched this in years. I want to see, you know, what what all has changed, and and, and just see who's still around, all that good stuff." And just got hooked. And because what's the first go to that that people say? It's fake. You know, you know, it's fake, right? Like. You know, they just kind of take you down a peg. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, really? I don't realize that. Um, it's uh, so you try and uh, you know, kind of take them to to where you are. And it's like, hey, do you enjoy Game of Thrones? Do you enjoy this or that? Um, and I usually do like uh, my example is Cirque du Soleil. I don't know if either of you guys have ever been to a Cirque du Soleil show. Okay. Yeah. The stuff that they do is just phenomenal. The they kind of take you to a world. Um, and the acrobatics that they do on, you know, on top of it, everything is just so amazing to me. And like, how do they do that? It's going to that world, maybe turning off your brain for a couple hours a week and just enjoying what they provide. Cause it's a dance really. Like if you look at the guys, um, they kind of choreograph their wrestling routine. Like they kind of put pieces together. They, they know how it's going to start, how it's going to end, but all the middle portion they kind of just improvise as they go and they kind of have like these little either signals or they kind of talk, um, you know, just have these different, you know, verbal, nonverbal cues to put something together. And when a match is really good, you kind of appreciate what they did to, to make that happen. It's kind of, it's kind of cool how just through physicality, they were able to tell an actual story. One of the blogs I read, um, his name is Brandon Stroud. I'd highly recommend uh, looking him up. Um, just a really good writer. Um, and he said something along the lines of wrestling is like 80% garbage to get to the 20% amazingness of it. Those are the moments that I think you and I and other wrestling fans chase. 
uh, like we watch for hours and hours just to get that once every now and then. Yeah. Um, and then the occasional surprise return. Right, exactly. Uh, for, for, whatever, for whatever reason, it gets me. You know, uh, the, the latest one being uh, Shane McMahon, Vince McMahon's son. They kind of, especially recently, they've, they've tied in reality into their storyline. It makes you question what is real, what is scripted, and maybe it's a little bit of both. Shane McMahon is obviously Vince McMahon's son, and in real life, he was planning on, uh, you know, taking over for Vince whenever Vince stepped down. And Shane went and did his own thing. He basically left the wrestling business and he had been in the business forever and was gone forever, right? And it was just assumed that, hey, this guy, he started his, his own life and he's, he's happy and all that. And then what ends up happening, the dude shows up on Monday Night Raw and challenges The Undertaker you got the the mix of the reality and the scripted portion and and then the surprise returns like that where Shane was like, I never expected him to come back. And if you saw that, like the crowd reaction is probably the one of the biggest I've seen. Like I mean, it's gotta be top five. One thing that I always told people was that it was basically like a boy's soap opera. And all of the really good soap operas, you know, Young and the Restless, from a woman's perspective, like hearing what a woman likes about it, is that, again, that crossing of the lines of blurred reality, you know? Right. And, excuse me, we were... We've been watching House of Cards, and one of the things that we've been joking around with each other is that, you know, anytime anything happens, like the Capitol getting shut down yesterday, it makes you think about Frank Underwood being behind it in some way, right. you know, uh, little things in government now, like once you see like, hey, hey how someone could spin it to where... You know, there's some devious puppeteer behind the scenes, then, you know, it, it kind of blurs the lines again. And so I always thought that that was something that was really cool about wrestling because, again, like I remember, I, I'm not familiar with what's going on right now, but I remember when Stephanie was really big into it and it was kind of the same thing, you know, it was like she was going to wrestle, she was going to take over the company. And, and so there was still a like, wait is this real like obviously stone cold doesn't like this guy like he really yeah looks like he's pissed off about something or this or that wrestling came to tyler in like 95 or whatever and they had a live event out at the oil palace and uh me and my buddies that were into it at the time we all made signs and we went and we made like three signs. One of them was gold dust or bust. <laughs> the other one was the British bulldog is a pussy. And then I made a sign that just said wrestling is fake. Mm. And 
the British Bulldog was wrestling Yokozuna. We were on like the third or fourth row, like right there by him, you know, like I have pictures of Paul Bearer, like as close to as you are to me. Yeah. With like old school cameras and everything. And uh, we were holding up that sign and the British Bulldog saw my wrestling as fake sign and seriously was like pointing at me and cussing at me <laughs> while my buddy's holding up the British Bulldog as a pussy sign. <laughs> and Yokozuna stood up for us and like was like, Kicked him, you know, and attacked him from behind. While that's what he used to get distracted by us, you know, and he used his anger against him. (laughs) And Yokozuna, like when he was leaving the, you know, leaving the ring, like he beat him. And then when he was leaving, like he was giving us high fives or whatever. And it was just pure hilarity. You know, one of the fun things about the world of Bigfoot are the lunatics that are involved in it. Yes, absolutely. And a huge part of that night in my memory was us just clowning on the people that were around us. Like <laughs> un, like that kind of church laughter where you feel like you're not supposed to be laughing, but you can't help yourself. And the people there, there was a kid that was with his dad. And I mean, this kid, like probably like the early stages of just hardcore ADD, like, and he had all of these wrestling toys and he's watching the match, and at the same time, he's got his toys with him, like, in a seat, like, right next to us. And he's, like, crashing the toys together, like, smashing them and smashing them. And then, like, whatever happened in the match, and he just started screaming and then started crying. And his dad's, like, patting him on the back. And, I mean, he's 10 or 11 or whatever. But, like, that is also something that always attracted me to it was, you know, when we were in college, we would pause... You know, we would all tape. I mean, my buddy has a, seriously, like, a stack of VHS tapes of old matches. Yeah. I mean, this that could fill a room. That was one of our favorite things to do would be, like, when we were going back through and watching it, we would pause it and, and like, pick people out of the audience just like, look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure Griffin can speak to this, but you know, we've both been to a fair amount of live events and we've experienced probably the best slash worst of humanity and seen the most public meltdowns that you could probably imagine of fans who again, they know it's a show, but they still become so invested in it that it just it just bleeds over into real life for them. It's it's like a Donald Trump live event right now, <laughs> you know? And and, and again, we all three of us worked around politics at the same time at the radio station. And we were basically a part of the same thing, you know, politics in a huge portion of it is all show, you know, like the things that they're saying to people to get them riled up. Isn't what they really believe or isn't what they're really going to do. It's, you know, you're playing to the masses yeah, and it is theater. And in the fact that it's theater, it's art. And it's a different kind of art, It's, but it's no different than live music or, like you said, Cirque du Soleil or a play. It's um, an artistic expression of, again, the storylines that have followed humanity throughout their time, big and bad and good yeah. and evil and big versus little. And I mean, you look at a character like The Undertaker, who is... Uh, at various, He's from hell. <laughs> at various He's points, a demon. <laughs> at various no. points in his career, he has been either a reincarnated zombie or a yeah, a, a demon of literally from hell. 
or one thing or another. And then you, you know, like that's, those are the storylines. A guy goes up against him and he's having to face off against literal embodiment of evil. And those are the stories that get told. And again, a a huge part of the entertainment for me through the college years was, you know, the announcing duo of Lawler and uh, JR. JR. And the things that they would say, that would make us rewind the tape more than anything else. We would just die laughing. I mean, I put on my answering machine in my apartment in college, like, wrestling calls like things that we had recorded like took the machine up next to the tv and turned it up really loud no no what is he doing no my god he's got a family that man has a family i think my favorite of all time was he's got a heart condition like someone had dropped an elbow on somebody and jr screaming he's got a heart condition that right there see that that's the reason that i feel like i could walk into you know you guys sitting in a living room and watching wrestlemania and i'd have just as much fun i mean i'm not gonna bust on it you know i don't watch mma and i have friends that have probably bought every mma pay-per-view but the crazy thing to me is like i know that those guys are beating the hell out of each other you know there's people that are concussed bleeding dying arms broken legs broken and to me that's not as entertaining as guys who are playing a character inside of a storyline and still busting each other up and doing athletic moves like i'd rather have the theater of it than just here's two super ripped dudes in panties rolling around on the ground beating the hell out of each other (laughs) so uh let me ask you this, and this kind of goes back to being a fan again. Have you guys ever gotten sucked in, though? Like, I'm not talking, like, when you guys were in, in, in middle school. I'm talking, like, you know, college grown-ass adults to where you watch the storyline and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they, they did that or went off the cuff or, or whatever the case is. And then you look back two years, like, when they do a recap or whatever, and you totally know at now – at present day that it's all part of the storyline or at the time it was all part of the storyline but at the time you were like oh my god why are they doing that or like what the heck just happened why did they go off the cuff and you just get sucked in and like i'm a grown-ass man like i should know better why did i why did i believe that at, at the time yeah um, totally i mean that? i remember thinking that at different points like i was convinced that you know stone cold was doing something that he wasn't supposed to be doing and that him getting like fired or suspended or whatever or was arrested a, in the middle of the ring or something like that was was a real yeah. possibility you know um i definitely remember thinking that mankind may actually die like that cage match yeah is one of the most brutal things that i've ever seen and some of the moments in that still you know my i was just so wide-eyed and mouth agape yeah, Griffin, to your point earlier, I, I'm sure you and I both got that same feeling from a guy like CM Punk most recently. Like he, he was always doing things that made you think that this is not part of the show. Even though in your head, you know, like if he's getting, like if it wasn't part of the show, they just turn the cameras off. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and go to go to commercial. So go to break. Get him off the stage. <laughs> but move on to something else. But for that brief moment, you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? John Cena, while you 
You lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be. I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this because before I leave in three weeks with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. You know, he sat down the stage at the end of the night and was just going off about the company, mostly about Vince, just saying he, would, he was wishing he would die so that somebody else could, you know, take over and you're hearing this and it's like, oh my God, like it was a little, a little too, uh, a little too deep. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's, it's gonna get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. The realness of it was always the the sexual component behind the scenes with, uh, you know, Miss Elizabeth, will you marry me? <laughs> and thinking about these dudes, you know, you know, cheating on their wives or screwing around on, with their buddies' girlfriends. And, and I always thought that that was another angle of it that, you know, would definitely ramp up the hate. And let's let's face it; it was always it's always a lot better when you really feel like these two people hate each other. Sure, yeah. To your point earlier, Clint, about the crazy people involved in wrestling, it's not just the fans. I think probably the wrestlers themselves, especially back in the day, whenever there was a good chance that they were going to have to prove at some point that wrestling was quote unquote real, so they were going to actually have to beat somebody up. They were not playing yeah. around, and they weren't getting the- paid a lot. You know, no, they were just madmen out on the out on the road. A lot of them rejected football players, you know, probably too roided up to get yeah, into football or be in a legitimate sport. A little medically induced. A little bit. Yeah, if you think there was an era in baseball when they were on steroids, good gosh almighty. There were many legendary tough guys from the history of wrestling. But one name, when you ask just about anyone who was the toughest guy in the history of wrestling, was Ming. He also wrestled under the name Haku. Uh, There are stories about him tearing people's eyeballs out, uh, biting people's noses off, tearing people's teeth out. Those stories got around, even to his bosses, such as Eric Bischoff, who ran WCW when Ming was wrestling there at the time. And about him, Eric Bischoff said, 
he was never fired because no one was ever brave enough to actually go do it. Uh, Bischoff walked in to the locker room while Ming was talking to a few other wrestlers and interrupted them, to which Ming turned around and said, Hey, apologize to my friends. I'm talking to them. The room went silent. Everyone just froze, said Bischoff. And that's when I realized the stories about Ming weren't just legends. I apologized to them and waited for the conversation to finish. And those stories weren't legends. You have many, many wrestlers backing them up. Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, recounts a story of when they were in St. Louis, a bad part of St. Louis. Everybody had been out drinking, as was common. And a large fight broke out, which was also common. And the police showed up. And Ming was involved in that fight and the drinking and tried to break the fight up, but the police thought he was part of it, so they put him in handcuffs and set him to the side. And while Ming was cuffed behind his back, he looked at the police and snapped the handcuffs in half. Perhaps the only other legendary wrestler was Andre the Giant. Of course, everyone knew his size, and there are many tales of him drinking a hundred beers in one sitting. But you shouldn't question his strength either, as four men did who tried to pick a fight with Andre. Now it was four on one. I guess they thought the odds were even. But eventually, Andre stood up and decided to try to fight them. They ran and hid in their car, thinking they were safe. However, as the story goes, Andre literally picked the car up and flipped it over, trapping the four would-be assailants inside. Like, I hear you tell that story, and all I'm thinking in, in is the story of him filling a bathtub full of dookie because <laughs> a regular toilet wasn't good enough. <laughs> I've heard that. Yeah, he couldn't fit into the uh, the bathroom in a Japanese hotel, I believe, was the yeah. might have been the story. Wasn't there another one that was, like, wrestling out of the country was always... Always a, uh, a dicey proposition. In fact, you've got a guy um, here... Uh, Dino Bravo, who was a an old wrestler who got himself involved in a Canadian cigarette smuggling ring where he would, I guess, buy cigarettes off of the native Canadians and resell them. And that ended up getting him on the wrong side of the Canadian mafia, of which I was not aware existed. And eventually he, he ended up, the mafia sent Hitman after him. And he was found dead in his home, all because he was involved in a cigarette smuggling ring. Because I guess uh, <laughs> wrestling wasn't paying the bills. Did you follow that that trial with Gawker at all? Yeah, oh, I, I heard I that he has a thermos for a penis. <laughs> Did you hear that, Griff? He's got what? He's got a thermos for a penis. Uh, is that uh, is that Hulk Hogan's or? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I actually was listening to Stern. Two mornings ago or whatever mm -hmm. and Bubba the love sponge who whose wife it was that Hogan was sleeping right. with and who allegedly set up the camera yeah was was on with Stern live oh this was current yes yeah, oh, like wow. two days ago it was very uncomfortable very <laughs> very bizarre yeah uh, Griffin alluded to it there was a great bit of testimony in that trial where they were asking Hogan whether or not he should be embarrassed because he's uh, uh, apparently bragged in the past about having a 10 inch penis. And, uh, Hogan said on the stand, no, that's, that's Hulk Hogan that has the, the 10 inch <laughs> penis. 
Not me. <laughs> Not me, Terry Balea. So, I mean, kids or former wrestling fans who were Hulkamaniacs, just add that to his list of wonders. He's got the 24-inch pythons, and apparently also now it is canon that Hulk Hogan has a very large penis. Now, you know... That dude... Go ahead. Sorry, Clint, I was just going to say that that dude came into our studio... Oh, man, when was it, Matt? It was like two years ago, maybe. Oh, yeah, um, I, I wasn't... Don't know what- I wasn't there, but yeah. Right, yeah. I don't know what he was doing, and I was in the in the sound booth. Um, you know, I was running the board. So basically, it, the the way our studios were set up, it was my um, my room. You know, big glass window in front of me. Then the uh, you know the host on air in their studio, and then the, behind them was the or just beyond them was the hallway. And we're in the middle of the show. It's like a Tuesday morning. You know, seven thirty in the morning, and. There I go and see Hulk Hogan walk by in the in the hallway, and I was like, "That's Hulk Hogan." He goes and uh, goes to the station next to us to you know have an interview, and I'm like, at the time I'm like, "Man, I want to go say hi. I want to go meet him." But you know, I'm like, I don't know. To this day, I don't know why I didn't. I just you know I don't have a reason. But what, what were you gonna do? When those pythons yeah. got wrapped all around you, <laughs> what was I gonna do, brother? <laughs> yeah, what were you gonna, gonna do? Run wild, brother. Yeah, no. Well, it's like okay. So then, you know, point being, this whole testimony thing goes through, and now, like, seeing, you know, he he had been back, like, I think was it last year, or the year before, and just kind of like, you know what? Like, he never really did it for me. Like, he was before my time. You know, I'm fine not meeting him. <laughs> it's cool. I, I was always a macho man myself, a macho man man, I guess you could say, a Randy Savage man. I, uh, macho and, man man. A uh, macho man man. In fact, I've got a piece of audio that we can include in this, which is my, the biggest interview of my college career was with macho man Randy Savage. <laughs> whoa. I had him on my... College career. Yeah, I had him on my radio show in college. Uh, yeah. He talked exactly I like... I was, I was waiting for, a, I feel like... Clint had a pretty good impression. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, he always looked like like Tony Montana after he came up from putting his head yeah. in the cocaine pile on his <laughs> desk in Scarface. Like that was perma Randy Savage right. face. It's like if you had overinflated a basketball and then dunked it in cocaine, that was <laughs> <laughs> like he's just Randy raising Savage. his head up, you know, and watching him like prance around behind Gene, getting ready to talk like he was just, you know, couldn't even, like most cokeheads, they can't even, (laughs) (laughs) that cokehead you meet at a party, you like can't wait to talk, he's not listening to anything you're saying, and you know that the moment that there's one second of silence, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) he was the best man, he stayed on our, he was on for like 20 minutes on our dumb radio show in college that, that was on the internet only. And he was super cool. We talked to him about wrestling. He had just released his rap album. Holy shit. Which was how we got him on because we just called his label and we said, uh, can we talk to Randy about his rap That's album? Amazing. And they said, Do you remember sure. what it's called? It's called Be a Man. Uh, be a man. You got to be a man, brother, brother, <laughs> let me tell you. And it was, it was a, uh, it was a, it, the, uh, the title track is the diss track on Hogan. Because they he wouldn't <laughs> wrestle him, so uh, he was telling me to be man. <clears throat> Whoa, I don't know what just happened to me right there, but <laughs> that's one of the. I'll tell you what happened to me. That's the Randy Savage effect on my yeah. vocal cords. You only do it for like ten, fifteen <laughs> seconds. Ooh, 
And he um, lived that. I don't know how the hell he did that. I he don't, lived that. I don't either. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the movie hour. Right now on the phone, we have our special guest, Macho Man Randy Savage. Hello there, Macho. Yeah, how you guys doing? Man? <laughs> oh, we're doing great. What's I'm up, Macho? So glad you were able to call. We had to. We've been trying to get you for about a month now, and we kept running into problems. Really? Uh, so tell us a little bit about what it was like cutting an album, because I, I assume this was your first your first experience making it. Yeah, a- absolutely, my first experience debut album, and I just had a, a lot of fun doing it. Thirteen songs on it. Uh, uh, just a variety is the key, and I uh, just had just had fun doing it. You know, I just hooked up with the crew, the Rascals, and uh, their musical geniuses helped produce it. You know, and uh, come up with the words, and we just got to know each other, and it was really cool. Before you go, could you just could you just give us a, a quick uh, promo for the movie hour? Yes. Uh, um, just something like uh, you're listening to the movie hour here on WRGW, and an ooh yeah, and, and an ooh yeah, <laughs> or just you know play with it, do whatever you want. What, what's the call letters? W R G W. Okay. So, whenever you're ready. It's the Macho Man Randy Savage, and right now you're listening to my new tag team partners, and they're doing the movie hour on WKGW. Oh, yeah. Feel the madness. Dig it. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. And could you, just one more, could you just give us a, a station drop? Just, uh, you're listening to WRGW on GWRadio.com. This is the Macho okay. Man. Hey, you're listening to WRGW on GW.com. Oh, yeah, that's the Macho Man telling you what to do. Yeah, dig it. Thank you so much. <laughs> that that, that just excellent. made, you just made our, our, our lives. <laughs> but that Savage Hogan diss track is right up there with the greats of all time. <laughs> a la hey. Easy e and Dr. Dre and Snoop going back and forth on each other. Clint, I want you to um, give me just one more time the, your your Randy Savage followed by your best uh, Sasquatch call. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, brother, we're out here into the woods, and we're gonna give ourselves a big foot call. We're gonna see if we can get us one. <laughs> I've got to be careful. There are people live on the air in this building. That was my shortest, my shortest take right there. We're not going to call up any Sasquatches with that. Oh, no. <laughs> I just, as I had my head tilted back, I saw people who are actually doing radio shows here that are <laughs> poking their heads up like, what the hell is Making money. <laughs> giving, giving the look of bleed over. I'm just envisioning a sting. He wasn't like calling. He was actually trying to get his tag team partner, Bigfoot. How has there never been a Bigfoot Sasquatch related wrestling character? Well, there there has been. um, Well, in fact, I linked to one on Facebook from Japan, so they have they have definitely done that. Um, The orang pin deck or something. There was I think it was just straight up a Sasquatch, and he was out there giving big boots to everybody. Um, There was a there was a character in WCW named the Yeti. but he was not dressed like a Yeti. He was dressed like a mummy. So he was like That's... wrapped in rags and things like that. And he could barely move. He just sort of walked with his arms out and kind of swung his arm at people. The rags were supposed to yeah, be like white hair. Or I have no idea. No, they, it was, it was completely confusing. And, and to this day, I don't think anybody can explain why he was named the Yeti. Huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than, I don't know, somebody like giant Gonzalez who had a painted on bodysuit that he wore, 
Uh, I can't think of anybody. That, because uh, there is a MMA fighter named Bigfoot Silva mm-hmm. who does kind of resemble <laughs> a shaved Sasquatch. <laughs> there was uh Anyway, we don't need to let Bigfoot talk take over wrestling <laughs> talk. So you guys are going. Obviously, it's Sunday. Yep. yep. Um, the... Uh, the program is four hours long with two hours of pregame. Yeah, it's a uh, it's going to be a, a sizable event. Do you tailgate By the way, with uh, with ESPN uh, Sports Center cut-ins, live cut-ins um, throughout that's, Sunday? That's right. Well, I mean, hell, if they give this much time and attention to women's basketball, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I like I thought about I thought about getting there early and, and tailgating. I may I may I may do that. We may have to try to link up Griffin when, when we're there. Just remember, blue yeah, parking no, is fifty bucks or uh, eighty bucks. Is it eighty bucks to park out there, Griff? Uh, well, I want to say it's like forty, but um, there's a Sonic and then nothing around it, but like used car dealerships. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Sonic for five bucks, you can park there, and you know, and it's just like this massive field that you can hang out in. And the Sonic has an outdoor. Um, uh, bathroom you can use so i know oh, wow. after, that's not too years. bad that's I mean, not it's too shabby it's, it's, and you can always take yeah. a rickshaw to the stadium <laughs> you yeah. know there will be the people yeah. that are transporting yeah. folks over there yeah uh well my gosh we might we might have to do that i was i was considering bringing the the yeti cooler and uh <laughs> filling it up and uh and hanging out for a, a couple hours because i was going to get there early anyway We'll see, but you know, I definitely plan on plan on tailgating. Hopefully, the the weather holds up. All right, man. Well, I guess we'll uh we'll let you go this evening because I know you've got a, a little one to tend to and work in the morning, and so we'll get you off of our shenanigans. But uh, you and I will hopefully link up at the big yeah. show on Sunday. Yeah, appreciate y'all uh, letting me invade your your space for a few minutes. So, well, and, it's uh, it's always good to have a uh, have our little radio trio back mm-hmm. up and running again. For sure, for sure. Hey, I don't get paid for this, but if you're if you're on the fence about the, getting back on wrestling, you can get this WrestleMania 32 for free live on the WWE Network. That is true. That's all I got for you. If I think he is paid for that. It's <laughs> quite a plug. If he's not, he's definitely he, getting <laughs> press passes now. It's been real. It's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. It's always great to see you, man. All right, man. The Major League of Professional Wrestling scene around the world and across the nation. And this edition coming direct from the Cotton Bowl at the famous State Fair of Texas here in Dallas, Texas. Hi, everybody. I'm Bill Mercer. We've got a record crowd on hand for this momentous occasion. But right now, let's turn our attention to another outstanding talent, Glenn Goza, as he sings wrestling. Thank you. Thank you. said come in to work i just hung up on that slave driving jerk i'm going to wrestling going to wrestling you think i'd rather be sweating on the dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock i'm going to wrestling going to wrestling r-a-s-s-l-i-n that's wrestling r-a-s-s-l-i-n that's wrestling i love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper, bumper, butt butt delivered by the eyes, man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gordy, but what I like the most is K. 
Terry delivering the iron call is only the fun lyrics can. Boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. My girlfriend called a friend. She could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassled. Really hassled. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's Kevin Von Erich when he's really high in flight. Silver-haired Ric Flair when he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls. I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestle. Going to wrestle. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's rest. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There were golden streets and fields of clover and the lights. They were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to rest. Going to rest. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's rest. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. There's young Mike Von Erich with his own iron club. And I'll never forget the classic battles of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in from now on every Monday and Friday, Jim, we're going to wrestling. Bill Russell is so expensive because he didn't sign autographs through at the age of 18. How about this Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell autograph double-signed basketball? That's right, you got Chamberlain and Russell dual-signed basketballs. You got... And 
rookie cards, and no one else. That's correct. This deal is the greatest we've ever done, folks. We're not kidding. We're not lying. It's the number one seller at all time in shop at home history memorabilia-wise. This is the number one seller, and the triple packs are almost gone. If you want an SJ234, you better get online. Eddie, let's open up some more packages, okay? I mean, you take a look at guys, names like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that look like they're $1,000. Yeah, let, so. let me show one right here. This is so awesome. This is a $500 to $1,000 piece, folks. Look at this. And remember, Shaquille O'Neal is no longer signing autographs. Another thing. Hey, yeah, here it is. Akeem Olajuwon basketball we're showing. Can you get us yet? No, no. We just opened another uh, basketball. Akeem Olajuwon basketball. Here's an autograph limited edition Jason Kidd card with that package. Yep. Here's a $100 Akeem Olajuwon. Here's a Dennis Rodman rookie card in that package. Rodman rookie card with... Here's a Shaquille O'Neal assets gold die cut insert card. About $75 to one. <laughs> Folks, make sure you get the SJ234 if you can. It is going to be sold out momentarily. We are breaking records tonight, buddy. Oh, yeah. Listen to me carefully, folks. I know this is going to be difficult to believe, but for $477... It, it's nuts! Triple packs are almost gone. Look at this piece. We just pulled out a double sign. Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon. Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon. Folks, the triple packs are almost gone. SJ234. We are going to give you about a minute. We're going to be moving on. You got it, folks. Continue to call in. We've got about... Uh... Look at this Jordan jersey. Man, I love it. How many people have we had that's got already called in and got Jordan rookie cards? Got Bill Russell rookie cards. Had an on-air call the other day. The lady got a Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain autographed basketball, and a Bill Russell rookie card in the same package. Unbelievable. Ken, we are uh, unbelievable. We are going through these triples like they're almost gone. Tell you what, folks, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to take a quick break. We will come right back. I'll give you the final count on the number. We're moving on to another brand new item. Here we go. We are going to do this now. I'm sorry for the confusion, but gang, I did not realize that this one has already been pulled. I'm going to let it air. I'm going to let it air tonight. You better buy it. SF8228. Here we go. We're going to give you Santa. We're going to give you peace. We're going to give you glory. We're going to give you Princess Aaron, Valentino Curly, and Blackie and Cubby. And I found out that is why Blackie and Cubby are retired. Blackie and Cubby are retired, but we're going to go ahead and put them in this package, and we're going to let this run one more time. Santa and the Eight Bears, make sure you dial in. SF8228, do not miss out. You better dial in. We're getting it fixed. All the confusion, everybody said, hey, that item, where they pulled it, it's no longer. Well, gang, we're running it. We're going to run it. Buy it. I put it up. I'm up here by myself. There's nothing I can do about it now. We're going with it, Greg. It's Katie bar the door, buddy. This Beanie Baby is the only Beanie Baby done of a person. Right there, Santa. Make sure that you dial in right now. Make sure you dial right now. This is your chance. This is your chance. Unbelievable. Uh, folks, dial now.
Verifying on another one of these. Verifying on another one of these. Make sure you're online. Make sure you are online. Unbelievable. Do not miss, miss out on this. This is your opportunity. Verifying on another one. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That one right there is incredible. Absolutely incredible. It is the only way to go. The only way to go. So be on the phone. We have the phone lines absolutely double jammed. Uh, I wish that I could do this uh, longer, but as you can see, at these kind of prices, there is no way. There is no way. I need the errand for here. Do not miss out. Verifying on another one. Uh, be sure and order more than one if you can. We will allow that tonight till they sell out. Now, again, on this item, once they're gone, there's nothing we can do about it. Keep dialing. Unreal. Verifying on another one. Verifying on another one. I will not be coming to this after the break. You can take that to the bank. This is kind of my little gift to you all. Make sure you dial in. Verifying on another one. Verifying on another one. Uh, I have been informed we do have trouble uh, in the studio nearby. Uh, Scallion, don't get too close. Remember, don't, uh, no trouble. We don't want any trouble down here, buddy. <laughs> Verifying on another one. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is imperative that you dial fast on this. I mean, it is seriously, it is to the point now where you need to be on the phone immediately. This is absolutely one of those deals that you've just got to be on the line. Verifying on another one. Do not miss out. And I have a deal coming up. Did they have a sheet in there or a sheet in there on that? Don't worry about it. Verifying on another one. We are going to a break, folks. I'll tell you what. $1.99. I've got 30 more minutes of Beanie Babies. I'll be coming back. I'll let you order this through the break, and then we're pulling the item. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I'm going on tour, and I'm going to show anybody out there that thinks for one second that maybe I'm second-guessing myself that I am the greatest of all time forever and ever. What surprise. What a surprise! I'm back. To make it out the ice cold streets of the city, you better have a Christopher Word game with it. You better have a dance game similar to Diddy, or play beatballer but a rim like Smitty, Josh, Chris, Bosh, Paul, Gasol, or any other nigga that ball and tall. I used to sell it white as Paul Wall. Gave my young boy three of them in the mall And he gon' bring me 75k back tomorrow You know what big about, you know what bigger do Ice water in my veins, hard pumping igloo I'm familiar with the money, so who the fuck is you? What the fuck you do? Where the fuck you from? Who you knowin'? Somebody get this nigga, I don't know him And I'm about to jet off on his ass like a Boeing Going, 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 gone, so You don't like the prestige? The way I want it. 
to make it up the ice cold streets of the city. Your mind state gotta be as wicked as fitted. Can't love life suckling on mama's titty. Cause life is a bitch and a bitch ain't with it. You gotta have faith living life on big end. I'm ready to die for the money. Who is with me? Life at the death. Hey, this must be hell. I asked for six figures. God gave back self. I'm on my way to heaven in the portion 911. Buried in my car and I'm surrounded by a harem Surrounded by my brethren, my funeral is legend Buried like a pharaoh with my jewelry in the desert The government that hate me like Jesus, but fuck em. I did it for the grind, I did it for the hustle I did it for the people on the bottom in the struggle I did it for my comrades, did it cause I love them Custom made, brother! Woo. And I mean custom made from the alligators To the all I can see right here Rick Flair, there's only one To make it out the ice cold streets of the city You gotta politic your situations like Clinton If you chase power, you ain't gotta chase women So take some advice, take cash over ass When you get money, you ain't gotta take shit So long as you broke, she ain't gotta take dick Capiche? Now you know what motivates your beach Capiche? Pay the mortgage or the pussy up for lease Capiche? Church ladies going gaga for the Gucci Yeah! Got two niggas menaging for some Louis Yeah! Get acquainted with Alicia And every other girl named Rihanna wanna meet ya They in it for the money, got the swag of the features Pretty parasites might suck you like leeches Just some information for a student from a teacher Real life shit, I'm Mike Bigger, nice to meet ya Gone At Delta, the girls call me cool At Eastern, the girls call me Slick Rick And all the other women around the world just say Oh, there goes the man <laughs> 